Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Philippe Cloutier, who is the CEO of Cartier Resources. They're a Quebec-based explorer developer. They originally bought their four assets back in 2012-2014 and have been drilling out to find out which of their assets they would focus on. It came apparent to them that Chimo was the one that they should focus on, and that's what they've been doing. They're about six months away from making a decision as to how they can monetize this and if they do, it could be a bumper payday for shareholders, as Philippe talks about, an 80%, 80-20 split, 80% to shareholders. That would be great, wouldn't it? Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Philippe. How are you, sir? Fine, sir. Good, good. So you're holed up at home there, I can tell. Yes. You are. In the heart of the Valdor mining camp. Beautiful, beautiful, nice part of the world. Um, well, like, um, we've not heard your story for us. So I'm a bit excited because you've kind of got an unusual setup there um, when we were looking at it. So why don't we kick off with a one minute overview and I'll pick it up from there. Sure. Cartier Resources got listed in 2007. Uh, we explore exclusively in the Quebec portion of the Abitibi Greenstone Belt and we focus on gold projects. And what we did uh, from early on is we, we bootstrapped it and did some, you know, Greenfields remote exploration. Uh, but by 2012, we took a deep dive and we decided to um, better our exploration uh, approach. And uh, there were a lot of distressed um, exploration companies out there with wonderful assets. And so we went on a shopping spree. And from 2012 to 2015, we bought four uh, gold deposits with historical resource estimates. Uh, in 2016, Agnico Eagle took a 19.9% uh, position in our stock, and we haven't looked back. Uh, since then, we've been applying a very strict approach to exploration, uh, drilling at depth, uh, no mineralized zones, uh, in order to, you know, bring the next deposit online. Fantastic. Thank you for that summary. And um, why I wanted to talk to you guys was you've, you've got four assets and, you know, exploration is, is, is difficult and tricky at the best of times, but I think it's even harder if you don't have a plan um, because money quickly runs out. Okay. So, can you talk us through, okay, 2012, 2014, long time ago, Agnico, Eagle getting involved, you know, 2014, you know, uh, would you say 15 or 14? 16. 16. That's all... December 2000. So that's also a long time ago. So it was like, what were you trying to put together? What, what were you, have you been doing in, the, in this sort of intervening period? And you know what? You know what's what's the end game here? So what what have you constructed? I'll dial it back and and try to remind you what happened from two thousand and two to two thousand and twelve. Uh, there were really brilliant, nice discoveries in remote areas, uh, and high cost exploration, and we call that frontier exploration. Well, in the Abitibi. Uh, from 2002 to 2010 or 12, there was no less than 10 deposits that were drilled, delineated, uh, 
permitted and brought into production. The common denominator, not one of them was a new discovery. They were all um, old projects that had been shelved due to bad economic uh, situations or, or corporate decisions. And these things were sitting there like literally sitting ducks. Um, and, and, and that we call Renaissance exploration. So when Cartier's turn came around in 2012, and it was uh, the, uh, a long bear market in, 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 in the making, we had $3 million in the bank. And we knew the characteristics of a lot of these projects, their mineralization types, their alteration types, their uh, so on and so forth, their technical uh, uh, degree of difficulty. Uh, so we started mining financial statements instead. And there are a few financially distressed junior companies out there. We made an offer on four deposits and were able to pick up these deposits. By 2016, uh, somebody had caught on to our signature acquisition program. Um, and one of that one of those companies was Agnico Eagle. And so by then it was obvious that what we were going to do, it was we we're going to focus exclusively on projects that had, you know, demonstrated historical um, um, prospectivity to them. Uh, and and so our exploration is not all that uh, exotic. It's drilling at depth, known mineralized gold zones, um, zones that can offer uh, wide, low grade mineral intersections or uh, thin, high grade mineral intersections. We chose to focus on the Chimo gold mine simply because it has uh, infrastructure, a shaft and drifts, and it is only a 30 minute uh, drive from downtown Valdor. So, you know, we chose to de-risk a lot of our exploration um, approach. Um, it's a lot, well, it, it's a lot more expensive to do, but then again, you're held to a high level of accountability because of the historic data set. So there's, so there's not a lot of arm waving you can do, you know. Okay, so that's, so that's interesting. So rather than go greenfield or, you know, try and make a new discovery, you're saying there's a lot of historic data out there we, we, we've got a very good idea of what's there and for one reason or another it's been shut in. But let's, let's take a look at the, the best, best of those. So you've gone through a, pro, a desk uh, research process there. Okay, but give me an idea of the, the criteria that you were looking for because you must have looked at more than four, obviously. So why pick on these four? Okay, interesting. Here's a bit of the secret sauce to that recipe. Um, we had actually about a dozen deposits that we had flagged. We shortlisted that down to about six. And uh, there were actually only four available. And, and the criteria were, 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 these things had to have at least three dimensions to it, a historical resource estimate. I'll get back to that later. Uh, they had to have mineralization that was included within rather wide or broad alteration zones, things that obviously were going to have legs to it, not like, you know, um, uh, one-offs. Um, they had to have 
high grade components and also low grade wide uh, capacity. Um, we tended to focus on things that uh, were done pre-BREX. And the reason for that is these resource estimates were largely ignored because they weren't 43101 for one. For two, anything that had been associated to BREX was in, well, obviously, um, uh, people shied away from those because they were associated to scandal. For three, they were generally held by companies that poked at these things uh, a lot, but in a widespread manner, never following up on the original discovery, but doing wildcat holes left, right, you know. And, and so, and, and um, generally people would say, oh, that's, you know, that's an old project's being looked at, done that, you know, and, but the, the, the true potential of the project always remained that the main discovery was never really looked at at depth because it was pre-19, uh, pre-BX, pre, you know, pre-1997. So you throw into that mix all of those criteria, the grade, the alteration, the fact that it was associated to scandal, the fact that it was perceived as being uh, looked at and, 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 and there's nothing left to do with these projects. And they, they were also held by juniors that were running out of cash. So we bought these things. If, if you look at the historical resource estimate not 43101 of these projects. And you add up all the ounces on those four projects and the cash that we, we paid for them, you're looking at less than a dollar an ounce to acquire those projects. That's our starting point. We then obviously got lucky because the markets turned in 2016 and we struck a deal with uh, Agdico Eagle whereby they became a strategic investor in Cartier. And that legitimized our exploration strategy and basically sponsored our our what we did in 2017 which was raise i think 17 million dollars and we never looked back so, so, just, so today we see there's a lot of cash you you, you do indeed but so tell, tell me this so that's what you wanted what did agnico eagle buy into what because they you've gone through a process of like identifying the types of assets um, makes a lot of sense for the reasons you, you've given but they will be looking for something else they're looking for you know future scale future optionality on that scale so what was that conversation like when you had it were you selling to them or were they selling to you we obviously were selling to them but we we're selling to them because they were buying into a business model that we had set up again let's dial back to when I was with senior mining companies. Um, about 20 years ago, senior mining companies started to dismantle their exploration offices, 20 or 25, 30 years ago. They started to dismantle their exploration offices. And, and at the same time, there's a, huge, a whole bunch of juniors cropping up. And they said, let's the juniors find these things. And uh, when they do, we'll just swoop in and buy them. Well, that was, that was fine at first. But then the juniors started to lack performance and, and, and they started to do the prospect generator and doing this remote exploration. And only a few, I'm not saying Cartes is one uh, and, and unique, uh, only a few decided to say, we're going to focus on Brownfields projects. We're going to try to bring these sub shovel ready projects to the senior uh, the producers because since they had stopped exploring, 
and they were relying entirely on the junior exploration crews to do it. Well, and so they, so Agnico and, and the likes, the senior companies, they still do some exploration. They buy their ounces, they bet on, on other juniors. So they have a mix, right? And with us, they decided to, to invest in our business model because we focused here in the Abitibi. And they said, well, well, if, if they do their work right, one of the four projects is going to is going to pan out. Originally, our discussion, uh, you know, um, was about, listen, you invest four point five million dollars. That'll give you 19.9 percent of our company and we'll embark on a aggressive drilling program to drill out these four projects and see which one pans out. Well, that same year, our stock price started rising. We got interest from other parties saying, hey, we like your business model. We like the fact that Dignico is bankrolling you. We like the drill results that you're pulling out. And so we kept raising money throughout the drilling. And, and then all of a sudden, Chimo broke away. It broke away in the sense that, hey, this past producing mine was actually delivering above and beyond what we thought it would you know, eventually deliver. Um, you got to remember, this is a past producing mine. It they had extracted just under four hundred thousand ounces, uh, and and from three shear zones, and uh, there was you know about twenty five individual veins and mineralized zones that had not been followed up at depth. So essentially, since two thousand and seventeen, we've been drilling Chimo and 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 you know, and shelved. Uh, the Benoit, the Wilson, and the Fenton deposits for later, for later work. Okay, so you're keeping them as optionality. I get that. Uh, again, 2017. So you've had what two and a half, three years of three seasons, two seasons of drilling. Well, the the it's a very good point, and I'll I'll add to that. One of our selection criteria was that every single deposit or project that we have must not be windowed in by winter or summer drilling. So we could drill all four of these deposits 12 months out of the year. In other words, as a joke, if I can't drive to a local donut shop and have a takeout coffee and, and, and be able to drive up to the project and the coffee still has to be hot. And for us, that's that proximity uh, has a tr tremendous impact on the cost of operating. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a rule of thumb in our business. You could either pay a helicopter $1,500 to access your project site or pick up rental one month, $1,500. So you got to, you want to be putting your money into the drilling and not into the peripheral stuff. I love that. That's, that's really important because that affects the economics significantly. Because if you're not yes. drilling, you're just spending money. If you're drilling, you, you could be creating value, oh, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a really big point. So you've been drilling since 2017. What have you done? Yes. What have you created? What do you now know? Well, we've we've obviously. All right, I did mention earlier on that one of the things that we like, although it, it's not glamour, is being held accountable to a very robust data set. So the Chimo mine has roughly 4,000 drill, historic drill holes, uh, you know, a huge 60,000 plus data, data set of, of assay results. Um, all the infrastructure, everything's there, metallurgical reports, uh, rock mechanic reports, production reports. So there's, 
we like to be held accountable to the data and with not a lot of wiggle room for arm waving. Uh, might not be perfect for the retail crowd, but the corporate people like that a lot because that's when they come in and do their evaluation to whether or not they're going to pick up the project, their engineering teams can wrap their heads around that type of situation. So with Chimo, we made damn sure that we brought up to speed to modern digital, you know, uh, robustness, the data sets of the infrastructure of the drilling and, 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 and sampling, so on and so forth. We completed 116 diamond drill holes, 54,000 meters of diamond drilling within, within 500 meter radius of the known infrastructures at depth and laterally, all right? And what we did is we then did a maiden resource estimate on the stuff that is the most lookalike mine material. We are on the verge within the next week or so of producing a second resource estimate on the northern shear and southern shear. The significance of that being that both those both those components are shallow and have a lot of upside potential with depth. Um, and in the central shear, well, we're, we continue to drill that with on on an eastern dis, on the easternmost discovery we made uh, mid 2019, and. And then we're also we've also recently mandated uh, engineers to come in and look at the shaft haulage capacity of the infrastructure, potential stope design configuration to enable us to take the um, the the cutoff the 2.5 gram per ton cutoff that we have and push that down to 1.5 gram per ton. Then the mineralized material underground would be three grams per ton. And then another engineering aspect that we're looking at is sorting that rock once it gets to surface to high grade that. Now there's a lot of moving parts to this engineering and this resource estimate stuff, but wrap your head around the fact that what we want to do is avoid building, building a tailings impoundment site at Chimo, avoid building, building a mill, right? trucking higher grade material to the six or seven under capacity mills in the in the vicinity so lowering capex lowering opex increasing um irr and cash flow for this for this uh this project and since it is a a a past producing mine and you are telling the local authorities that you're not going to build a new environmental scar on site and you're going to use pre-permitted tailings impoundment sites and mills well that allows for faster permitting and, and and bringing into production a lot quicker and most people talk about number of ounces or or costs and stuff but time is a cost item yeah that we tend to forget absolutely it's another killer um there's a robustness to that, and I understand it. And you know, with Agnico, people like Agnico Eagle, they they do have lots of optionality. They have placed lots of bets. Um, so, because I, I, I meant to ask you earlier, if we, we want to, went off on a tangent. Um, how have they influenced the way that you have designed 
the exploration and development of um, uh, the, the you know Chimo, because the rest of it sounds very institutional. You know, you're gearing it up for an audience who need to see this information and see the flow of process happen in a certain way. So the kind of sex and sizzle that one might construct for a retail-only investor audience isn't there. And that yeah. maybe, maybe damaging your short-term market cap because you're at 25 million. If I look at all the moving parts, you shouldn't be at 25 million, okay? But is it because the way that you've structured this? And is that okay? You touched on two things. You asked me or comment to the fact what's our relationship with Technico, how they have impacted our exploration program and robustness. And two, you touched on the fact that our share price is not where it would, where, where it would normally be if we built a sex and sizzle. Okay, the first thing is we have a very healthy relationship with Technico Eagle. They do not have a first right of refusal on any of our projects, but we've, I've, we and I, our team and I have worked with the Agnico people for many, many years. It's like, it's a very small community here in Valdor. We have the privilege to run ideas by that technical group as often as we get the idea to do so. And they are very forthcoming with their comments and their, their constructive criticism. And for us, it's like freebie. It's like free consulting. But they're not setting the tone. They, they're not they, setting the tone is what I'm getting at. You, you are free to make no. your plans the way you see fit. Got it. Okay. Absolutely. But ultimately, we know that if we don't build it ourselves, some senior technical team will. And so you have to align your work with who is going to potentially buy it out. So that's the first aspect is we have a very healthy relationship with one of our strategic investors. And uh, they, they, they don't act like an armchair quarterback, not at all. They're, they're, they're there and uh, they're only there because, and they give us this, this, this advice whenever we ask it and we're free to follow it or not. The second aspect to your question pointed to the fact that well, obviously, we've invested very seriously on the on the technical aspects of our business and not so much on the marketing aspects of our business. And I think and my bad, we, we don't we don't do all that much marketing and, and, and you know, smoke and mirror stuff. Um, and it is reflected in our share price. But I, I my answer to that is we're not selling a share price. We're selling ounces. So if we come up with an inventory of ounces where we've demonstrated through technical and engineering worth work that these ounces can make a lot of money for ourselves or for a producer that will buy these, um, then we've done our job. Our share price will readjust. It's like trying to hold a, a, a balloon underwater. Well, take your hand off and that balloon will rise to where it should be. Right. I, well, that's if my point. No, I, I understand that um, analogy. I, my, my point is that there are um, there are companies out there who've got less than you who are worth three times what you are. I, I've interviewed recently a company which has got one million answers. 
A lot of potential, and it's worth 500 million. And th that is, in my opinion, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, in that in that instance, there's no real substance to it. But you know, people come at these things different way, and that's why we always start off asking about business plans. So, I, what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're building something properly the way that you want to that has some rigor and robustness to it which at the point that you're ready to pop this balloon or release this balloon um, you will do so the, the value will be gained then but that that points to a certain type of investor with a certain type of potential investor that would look at you i get that we get that criticism often that we don't cater to the the numerous armchair quarterbacks out there, people that are not satisfied at how we sh should be marketing this, that we should be going out there and, and you know, rah, rah. And, and listen, that's just the way we are. If, I, if we wanted to compete with a whole bunch of juniors out there on the IR front and spend a lot of money, well, getting back to what we pointed on earlier in our conversation, uh, I don't think that's money well invested. I think you get more mileage out of focusing on the technical issues. And if you do deliver, the market will catch up to you. The market is intelligent. I, you know, we like to say the market is, is silly. The market for the right assets is intelligent when, it, when the right time comes around. It, 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 can, it can be. It can be, and, it, and then sometimes it isn't. But, but I'm, I'm not... It's not a criticism. I'm just trying to help certainly people like in our audience watching this go, well, identify where is this company? What type of company is this? If this is a, you know, quick, you know, sex and sizzle type story, some people might be interested in that. Others won't be. If you are setting things up with a robustness and a soundness to the way that you, you do things, but it will break at the point where you deliver whatever it is that you're going to deliver, then that's going to be for some people and not for others. So I don't see your plan as being right or wrong. It's just going to be right or wrong for different people. So that, that, that's why I, I, I've enjoyed listening to the way that you've set this up. It, it, I understand it. I was once told by one of our former chairmen that he had been through the exploration phase and then they couldn't sell the project, so they had to build it. And he says, Phil, what I remember is your audience changes through time. And don't hang on to an investor. I mean, when somebody buys your shares, he's bought the right to sell it whenever he wants. He buys it for one reason only, and that is to make money. And, and when he buys it, is he trusts in your ability, your technical ability to do what your your skill set is you know and our skill set is is the technical stuff um i do feel sad i'm i'm a very large shareholder of this company and i keep buying shares whenever i can right because when you keep drilling as we drill and you keep doing engineering stuff you're more often than not in a blackout situation right so it kind of, when when i hear people saying oh a president is buying his shares or he's selling his shares, he must know something. Well, no, that's the definition of insider information. When you see a CEO or an officer buying or selling shares, 
it should be precisely because he knows nothing that can influence either way, right? So, you, so I think in our case, and I've seen other CEOs and CFOs and, and the directors do this, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And listen, we've, we've taken the ball all the way down the field and we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We sure as hell don't want to fumble the ball in the last nine yards, right? Okay. So let's, let, let's, let's carry on that analogy. So the light at the end of the tunnel is what? What, what happens at the end of the tunnel? And when? Okay. With, at the end of the tunnel, we've demonstrated that this project is viable or not. It validates our exploration approach. And therefore, we could repeat the process on our other deposits. Sure. Right? And we will choose the best way to reward our shareholders. We have not, like some uh, other juniors or some other exploration companies, threatened to build this thing. You have to understand that when you go from a four-man crew to having health and safety meetings with 200 people, you you got to walk the talk here. It's it's a lot of four-man crews say they're going to build something, and then they have to build a technical team to get it off the ground, finance it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and although it's easier to do in a brownfields area uh, a project like Chimo downtown Valdor because you have access to the professionals and and theoretically the project capex is a, a lot lower than a remote offsite project. Well, you always want to make sure that you don't cry wolf too early. If we if we just decide or elect to build this thing ourselves, it's because the conditions will dictate that that is the best reward for our shareholders. If we decide to sell this project to a, an established producer, it is because that will be the best reward for our shareholders. We can also threaten not to sell it if we feel that the offer, the right offer is not there. That a lot of people uh, can't wrap their heads around. But why should we sell an asset at a discount where we can simply repeat the process? Okay. I'm still not quite sure what length of tunnel you've got to travel to get to that point, but you're saying it, it, oh, it's going to depend. Months. Six months. What's happening in six months? It, well, because with it, well, in the next six months, we'll have completed our drilling. Uh, all the drilling needed to, to deliver our, our third resource estimate. We'll have in-house all the uh, engineering study that, that we need on the stoke design, on the, on the, um, the, the shaft haulage capacity, on the production scheduling, on the mineral sorting, uh, mineralization sorting with Steinart and Tom or whatever. And then we'll take all of these engineering studies and and, and compare those with the resource estimates and find the sweetest spot. So we'll have within six months, we'll know if this thing is, is, a, is going to be really, really economic, really, really economic or just economic. And, and because at one point you, you, you can't, you have to stop drilling and move on to the next project. Right. Any other work will simply benefit the future purchaser and not your, your shareholder. Right, so in six months time, you're sitting down with people going, right, I'm ready to sell. Is that, is that what you're saying? To establish what's the next step. 
all right? It, remember when we were in school and there was only so many hours that you could study and then you'd plateau. Every extra hour, right, you would get a better grade. So the amount of work we've done or conducted on CHIMO has brought us to that point. That's why I say the six month that, it, that we, we now need to do is is going to get is going to get us ready for that exam that's what i'm saying and then you may decide to sell or you may decide to carry on to carry on build it ourselves sell it spin it off come up with some you know um some creative thinking to to the the one thing we want to do before moving on to our next project is reward our shareholders they have been patient for the last three years and and we need to reward those shareholders it will be a validation, if, if, if anything else, to then move on to our Benoit deposit and then Wilson and Fenton. Okay, so, so I want to be clear what that means. So reward them with some kind of dividend if you sell? Indeed. If you sell only though, yeah. right. Okay. Well, let's, let's just use numbers here. Just bounce numbers off the Beautiful. Wall. Let's say we're able to uh, establish that there are a million ounces on China. Let's say the going price for ounces in 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 a mining in established mining camp is a hundred dollars an ounce. A million ounces times a hundred dollars—that's a hundred million dollars. Why is our market cap twenty-five million when we have a hundred million dollar asset? Right, with gold trading at Canadian two thousand four hundred dollars an ounce. Um, well, we got to be pretty shitty salesmen not to be able to pull that off. And I believe that we're we're going to be closer to the two million ounce mark. And I believe that ounces in the Valdor mining cap are worth more than the the weighted average hundred dollar per ounce. So our challenge in the next six months is demonstrated is trying is is going to be to demonstrate that economic worth for the asset and then pulling the right strings to monetize that and reward our shareholders. And if you use an, an 80-20 model where you, let's say you capture a huge amount of cash, you dividend 80% of that to your shareholders and you keep 20% to march on towards with the new adventure, I think people will like that. And I think that should encourage people to to invest in cards Pareto would love that number. Um, right. Um, and then you've got three other assets. Do you, from the, the work that you've done so far, understand which one of the three you'd go and tackle first? Definitely. Benoit is the project that we, are, uh, we anticipate working next. And in fact, we've already launched uh, an assessment of the the resources that are in place. We're historically there was 72 holes, uh, 24,000 meters of drilling in a little you know subsurface pod from zero to 300 meters. We drilled at depth to 700 meters and and confirmed that the system's still alive. The first thing we're going to do is to wrap a resource estimate around that that original de deposit and then engineer 
an exploration approach very similar to China. So same again. And, and work it from there. Cookie cutter, cookie cutter. And do you think you're going to be able to get, because again, you've got a bit of information on Wilson and Fenton. Do you think you're going to be able to cookie cutter that too, or are they more complex? They are, in fact, if 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 we're able to renegotiate with uh, Soquem, uh, the, our position with, uh, with Fenton, we're going to try to work Fenton and Benoit together simply because of economies economies of scale uh, the pro, both projects uh, are you know within driving distance of each other and there's a mill and uh, tailings facility right smack in between both projects it is currently owned by I think Bonterra or Kirtland Lake uh, so and and both projects happen to be in that new uh, windfall area. Okay. Um, have you got enough money to do all of this? We have $6 million in the bank right now, mm-hmm. $5 million hard cash, and uh, just under a million uh, flow-through money. Um, our burn rate, when not drilling and not blowing it out, uh, doing any IR, is about $50,000 per month. So if you were hit by a severe bear market or severe crisis, we have enough cash to keep doing what we did in 2012, doing some aggressive shopping and keep building the pipeline. Um, we're very comfortable and confident that with the cash in hand, we could definitely get our, our six month end of the tunnel uh, stuff done. And then, you know, march on to our, towards a brilliant future. How many shares do you have? 191 million, no warrants, um, 13 million um, options, uh, some in the money, some not. Um, now we're looking good. We have a very good cash position, uh, very tight, lean, mean uh, burn rate. Um, I think if this COVID situation turns around and um, it's going to have to at one point, I guess. Um, then we're well positioned to 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 you know be ahead of the be ahead of the race. Philippe, thank you very much, sir. I enjoyed listening to that. New story for us. I thank you. Yeah, be safe out there. We will be safe, and you stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on with the drill program. Um, like I say, I think <laughs> it's it's going to appeal to a lot of certain type of investor, um, you know, happy to, you know, wait for your plan to play out. Um, well, in the so. next week or so, the Quebec government should be announcing um, um, release of the confinement here. They've already deconfined the mines, so the, the, the mines, the producers can get back to work. Mm. Uh, the, within a week, I think they will allow exploration drilling to continue and the labs, commercial labs to open. And um, then it's biz- biz- business as usual. Um, unfortunately, as in most jurisdictions, the smaller businesses, the barber shops, the restaurants, you know, that's, mm. uh, I don't know. But I mean, uh, life will go on for the heavy industries such as forestry and mining. And here, in, just to give you an idea, in Valdor, the it is forestry and mining, and so the, and and they're very high level health and safety. 
So earlier on, when the government said, hey, you guys locked down, well, the workers here, you said, ah, no problem. You know, they, they're used to high level health and safety and the subcontractors to these, you know, these, these big industries like mining and, 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 and forestry, well, they've, they've, they've adjusted to the highest denominator, not the lowest. So the whole region here, the Abitibi as such, is I, I, being isolated from Montreal and the, and the big centers. Well, we're, we're it, it's better for us up here. There's still snow on the ground, but can't have everything. Philippe, thank you so much for your time thank again. You. We'll speak to you again real soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.